Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to the Universe Next Door. I am excited to be delving into the universe of math and physics and science and astronomy. Uh, Today we're especially going to be talking about one of the master wizards, one of the amazing investigators of things in astronomy by the name of the late Stephen Hawking. So how are you doing, Nick Shauna? I'm doing excellent. Great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. This should be interesting. Yeah, and by the way, your beard is coming in beautifully. You look very Jesus-like. Yeah, that's what I'm going for. (laughs) Jesus or Paul. That's right, one of the two. So today we are excited to uh, look back, as it were, across the history, at least especially the last 30 years of cosmology. Cosmology, of course, being the study of the cosmos, the universe, and the structure, the function, the history, the future, the way the universe at large seems to work. And I love to study cosmology. Galaxies are my thing. I love spiral, elliptical, and even irregular. Don't you love the irregular? That's what you call miscellaneous <laughs> category. If it doesn't fit into spiral or elliptical egg-shaped, we'll just throw it into the egg, into the irregular category. So are you, are you look very, you don't look elliptical. And you don't look spiral, so I guess you are in a regular shape. I guess so. Too bad they didn't discover irregular first. Yeah, that's right. It would have a name. That's right. So today we are going to be looking again at how, you might say, the, the manifestation of God's creation comes crashing through, comes exploding out of the evidence of, in this case, astronomy and cosmology, and how some people have struggled with it in the um, area of elite physics And when I think of elite physics and astrophysics, I'm privileged to have had a chance to sit under the teaching of of, uh, some of the top people in that area. Schwartz, uh, Schwarzschild, uh, one of the great uh, pioneers in study of stars and particular kinds of stars, black holes and uh, red giants and uh, supernova. And he was one of my professors when I took astrophysics for the non-scientists when I was a uh, junior at Princeton University, and he, we, by the way, we called the course Astrophysics for the Blithering, blithering Idiot. <laughs> that was our in-house name because of non-scientists is what we were. I was a history major. But we had a chance to really get the latest information. That was way back in 1971. So here we are, you know, 40-some years later, and we're excited to see how this whole picture has progressed more and more to present to the world a brilliantly designed universe. And I'm going to repeat that phrase. Exquisitely, brilliantly designed universe is the bottom line conclusion that many scientists, even those who do not hold a theistic point of view, have come to, and and they have to explain it somehow. Because if the laws of physics and the parameters, the, the dial settings... The fine-tuned, you know, force factors that are built into the strong force, the weak force, the gravitational force, 
the electromagnetic force, if those force factors are set just so, and if they were wiggled just right or left, up or down, just a slight bit, the, the functioning of stars and galaxies and even just the basic elements of matter would not you know, stand together. They would not function together in harmony and beauty like they do. Wow. Well, that sends a message right there. And so, uh, I, would, so I would really encourage anybody who hasn't seen the video, the one-hour documentary film, The Privileged Planet. Make sure you put that on your list to get it from you know, Amazon or you can actually go to RPI. I think the uh, people at Illustra Media have a link from their website. And, of course, you can actually see elements of that at their John 1010 project. Uh, so just type in John 1010. Uh, project.org and so enjoy that uh, it's going to be a great experience but the the whole book that that uh, documentary was based on by uh, Guillermo Gonzalez he is an actually professor of astronomy and um, Jay Richards of course assisted him that book presents in more even complete detail it's a, it's a good sized book I think it's over 300 pages presents the case for astronomy. Well, there are some atheist astronomers, some very, very smart guys, some brilliant, world-renowned astronomers who have said, I object. You know, this world, this universe was not created, and among them being the late, great Stephen Hawking. And, of course, he just passed a few months back. Uh, I'm looking at a wonderful article that appeared at crev.info. It was um, actually it appeared on my birthday, May 7th oh, of wow. this year. Yeah. And so Jerry Bergman, one of our dear friends, we've interviewed Jerry Bergman. He's an author of, I think, over 50 books. He's a great scholar in this area of Darwinism, creation, evolution, intelligent design. And Dr. Jerry Bergman, a professor of science at a college in Ohio, has written that, uh, you know, when this, this all is said and done, when you look back on the career of Stephen Hawking, this professor, a late Cambridge University professor of cosmology, there's no doubt that he achieved a stardom that is compared all quite often with Einstein uh, or with the late, great, you know, Isaac Newton himself. And so, oddly enough, uh, it turns out that uh, the late Stephen Hawking was born exactly 300 years after the death of the late uh, Galileo, you know, the one who had this tussle with the Catholic Church over the, um, you know, change of the view of the universe you know, from a Earth-centered to a Sun-centered, from the geocentric to the heliocentric. And so when, when this grand, you know, view of the universe uh, began to appear, uh, you know, back at the time of Galileo and Kepler refined it, you know, Newton came along and kind of worked on the law of gravity, codified that to the inverse square law of gravity, and it looked like the physics side of the understanding of the universe was well in hand, and then, of course, it moved into biology, and it looked like under the time of, in the time of Darwin that, that he had understood how even the laws of biological inheritance, you know, explain how man evolved eventually through a long, tortuous process of trial and error, you know, involving millions of kind of crazy mutations and uh, slow, inexorable process of uh, trial and error, rejection of this, acceptance of that, and then we finally appeared on the scene. Well, the, the idea of slow, gradual, you know, undesigned, unintelligently guided evolution is kind of mixed in. It's, it's like a take-it-or-leave-it combination in the, in the minds of many people in the scientific world today. And the late Stephen Hawking, 
who is so celebrated in his understanding of the universe actually accepted that Darwinian theory and wrote of it in some of his later writings as just as if it were fact. And he appears almost as if he hadn't kept up with the literature. It's very, very sad. As I was reading this article by Jerry Bergman, and he just blithely, very just, you know, cavalierly, uh, as if there was no problem, as if, oh, there's no issue here. Uh, All the evidence supports this blind process of evolution, uh, and, and everyone knows it. And I'm thinking, where has he, you know, has he, is he Rip Van Winkle? Has he been asleep for the last 20 years? You know, wake up and smell the coffee, smell the roses, smell the change in the scientific world, because the Darwinian theory has has been shown to be termite termite ridden. It is weak. It is um, dissolving in front of our eyes because of the problems of irreducible complexity, because of the problems of specified complexity in the DNA, and not only that, the seven or eight levels of digital complexity that are lurking above the DNA, all of which are in uh, symphony, uh, symphonic conversation with one another. How can undivided processes coordinate such a brilliantly interconnected, um, gra- you know, in, in, in terms of modern computer technology, this is a software integration problem that would defy the greatest minds, even working for millions of years, you know, using the smartest, most brilliant, you know, computer help, uh, computer aids that we can imagine having. Well, that's what we have inside of us. Well, I'm just going to leave the biology to one side and get back to the, the speculations and thoughts of Stephen Hawking in the area of the origin of life. Because, after all, he did come out with this important book, The Grand Design. Now, I don't know if, uh, Nick, if you were following along, because you and I really got uh, better acquainted just about two years ago when you took my C.S. Lewis course here mm-hmm. at Trinity College. And then, of course, you took the uh, Darwin Design course uh, in the Quest program. Appreciate you acing that. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. You got lucky. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Hard work, hard work. Okay. So um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the slender little book that um, a Russian physicist actually immigrated to, to England, and, and Stephen Hawking came out on the grand design, where he was speculating that we don't need God to explain the universe. Mm-hmm. This is oh, probably about uh, 10 years ago. That uh, he's, he was explaining that all we need is the, the theory of gravity. Yeah, which in his book before that, he said we'd have to have the mind of God in order to understand such a thing. Yes. So a lot of people were crazy about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it sounded almost like he was a Christian. Yeah. Or, or that, think, oh, never mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thinking Christianly or thinking somehow, you know, in a theistic vein. And then he clarified that, as it were, like, oh, wait a, wait a minute. Just kidding. Just, a, yeah, just kidding. Just in case you were thinking that I thought God was behind it all. No, we don't need God. Because we have... The theory of gravity, or, or really the law of gravity, I should yeah. say. The law of gravity explains it all. Oh, John Lennox would say, uh, from, from Oxford, he would say that's like saying the engine brought the car into existence. Exactly. And it's very appropriate, wasn't it, that John Lennox wrote the book replying to Stephen Hawking. Yeah. And really? I believe it was called um, uh, God and Stephen Hawking, Whose Creation yeah, Is It? I think that's it. Yeah, it was a slender but brilliant. It's a book It's a book that's only just like maybe 105 pages, if that. And uh, I read that book on the way down to a lecture series I was giving in Cape Town in uh, South Africa. This is back in the oh, year, wow. in the year yeah. 2010. 
And as I was flying down there, a lady next door, uh, or in the seat next to me, she was an agnostic. She said, what is that? I said, it's a book replying to Stephen Hawking. She said, really? Wow. Stephen Hawking's one of my heroes. I said, well, he's one of my heroes, too, but this is a reply to his theory about the, you know, the, the M-brane, and I was explaining all the, the, the gravitational idea. She says, wow, I need to read that. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. I showed I said, well, I, yeah, John Lennox, Oxford University, replies, oh, she was jotting it down. So, wow. so at this point, what I would say is, um, let me just review. Let me take the next, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes, and then I'll draw a few conclusions. So here is what um, Hawking's answer is how the universe began. And that really is where he spent a lot of his time at least in speculation. Of course, a lot of his work is in the area of black holes. Okay, in case you want to know more about Stephen Hawking and his theory of black holes, how they dissipate energy over time, I'll just say, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time to get into it. It's very interesting, but it's, it's a complete sidebar to this conversation. Okay, so just, just check it out through your search engine. Okay, so back to the wonderful work done by Dr. Jerry Bergman. And again, you can check it out here. It's the May 7th article on Stephen Hawking, um, posted May 7th of 2019 at crab.info. Thank you, Dr. Jerry Bergman. So Hawking's answer to where the universe came is simply that uh, we once thought that religion was a good way to answer where all matter and life came from. But that's before science arrived on the scene. Now, he says, quote, science provides better and more consistent answers. Did you hear that? Yeah. Wow. Okay, science provides better and more consistent answers. And then he says, uh, but people will always cling to religion because it gives comfort and they do not understand science. I'll just end the quote there. Now, I think that's very interesting because we have a whole, you know, huge, enormous, long list, a crowd. We have a, we could fill, you know, the Tampa Stadium uh, here in Tampa Bay with PhD scientists who know their field extremely, precisely, thoroughly to an incredible depth very well. And yet their science draws them ever closer to their belief in the Christian God. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, the, the list of scientists with earned PhDs who doubt Darwin's theory, there's a whole list of over a thousand posted um, there through Discovery Institute in their online uh, listing of the skeptics of the random mutation natural selection hypothesis as having proved itself. So anyway, back to live action. Hawking ignores the fact, really, that many people both trust and understand science and still accept the theological explanation for life in the universe. And this is a, a really good point that uh, Jerry Bergman brings out. Hawking admits, quote, he prefers to think that everything can be explained by the laws of nature, close quote. But you know what, Nick, what does he ever, what does he fail to bring out in that? What is he not explaining? And he says, Where the laws I, of nature are, are coming from. Exactly. Where did the laws of nature come? Okay, so gravity explains everything. Where did gravity come from? Yeah. It's and almost so, like the multi-universe theory. <laughs> well, we're going to get to the multiverse. Thank you very much. That's a good, <laughs> good segue. Okay. 
So these uh, four forces we have, at least at the moment, four forces. You know, the ones that have been known from, from ancient uh, times, gravity, and of course the magnetic or electromagnetic force, we call it. And then in addition, uh, in the last hundred years, we've discovered at the, at the level of protons and neutrons, you know, inside the atom, we have the strong force that binds those uh, little teeny particles together, and then the weak force that's involved in uh, uh, basically allowing radioactive decay to, to go along at its proper rate. So those four forces, um, gravity, EM, strong and weak, have their own unique action. It's an action at a distance. Does Hawking, Hawking ever attempt to answer anywhere in his writings, you know, how these forces um, work. In other words, why or how action, for example, in gravity, why or how action at a distance works? Does he ever attempt to explain it? The answer is no. He just leaves it to, well, just check out science. Yeah. But science itself, I mean, even Einstein's, you know, general and special theory of relativities, which attempted to answer this through the curvature of space-time, have now fallen on hard times. Have you heard about that? Not that, too much. That was no. in the the news just this last month. Wow. So Hawking believes that these, you know, just self-sustaining forces, these laws of the universe can explain the existence of everything. Okay, but, you know, I would say that, you know, you, you can't explain things by the laws unless you have something that can produce the laws in the first place. But that's not all. After his, you know, like waving his hand in the air and say, well, mutations can bring about the whole, you know, reality of, of humans with their wonderful brains and their ability to think and hypothesize and, and um, you know, figure out how to do scientific work. Uh, the, the origin of origins is the Big Bang, of course. Now, I myself am not opposed to the Big Bang. Uh, uh, you know, my attitude toward the Big Bang is how should I put it, academic. In other words, if God chose at some point to use an expansion event to launch the universe, who am I to argue with him? I believe that the days of Genesis are days. That gets me in some hot water with some of my old universe friends. I, I mean, my, my old older friends. Um, so, But I do believe that the universe is older than just six or 10,000 years. And that gets me in hot water with some of my <laughs> young universe friends. One of my friends... Uh, in this area said, Prof, you make everybody mad at you. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> why don't you just keep your mouth shut? <laughs> uh, so I'm potentially older universe, and I lean younger Earth. So um, someone said, you're not old Earth or young Earth, you're middle Earth. Middle Earth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tolkien-ish. But anyway, I, I, di I digress. So the, the problem with, you know, saying that the Big Bang explains, I mean, even if we work in the theory of the Big, Big Bang, uh, into our picture, and I think a Christian could conceivably work that in by saying God spoke the universe into existence, and the description of that speaking, uh, looking at it from a scientific analysis side, is something like an expansion event. It says eight times in the Old Testament God stretched out the heavens. Well, if that's not an expansion event, I don't know what it is. Would you agree, Nick? Yeah, no, okay. absolutely. Okay, so um, the the whole idea of Hawking is, to put it in a nutshell, uh, and he describes it in his new book that just came out in 2018, where he has uh, questions and answers. That's the key part of the title, 
Hawking's new book. And uh, just before he died, it says, Before the Big Bang, there was no matter, no space, no energy, and no time. Well, I agree. <laughs> there was nothing physical. And if there's nothing physical, and if there was a cause for this event, then you would need to have a spirit being. But he says, uh-uh, no spirit being, no God. So you know how he begins everything? Nick, he says, there is a object that is smaller than the size of a proton. And that object was packed with matter a billion trillion times more dense than the biggest black hole existing today. And that object, smaller than a proton, packed with all the matter that we see displayed in the universe, somehow just expanded to produce the universe we have today. After it somehow appeared. Exactly. Where did that massive, I'll call it a microproton, microproton, this teeny, absolutely unimaginably, you know, dense particle, where did that come from? How could that appear from nothing? Or had it been existing there forever? And if it had been existing there forever, what caused it suddenly to expand? There had to be a triggering event. So Hawking's explanation falls flat in terms of plausibility. Not only is the origin of the proton particle completely unexplained, other than to say, oh, well, God was not required to create it. <laughs> he has to get that in there. But it's, all because it's also unexplained because, as Jerry Bergman points out, it behaved unlike a black hole. You see, black holes don't just pull in matter that, that, that drifts nearby and comes too close and it pulls it in. Black holes have gravity levels that are so off the chart powerful. They're so great. They don't even allow light to leave. That's why they're called black holes. So he has this idea. You know, he has no doubt that his reasoning explains the universe. But he admits, at the end of his uh, writings, he admits this Big Bang is, quote, hard to grasp. But it's true. Well, let's just stop there. It's hard to grasp, but it's true. And you don't need a God to create it. And what I would say in reply to Dr. Hawking is that, no, reason, proper scientific induction, asks the question, where did this massive micro, you know, unbelievably packed proton come from? If that's your starting point. Because if before there was a universe, if there was no matter, okay, go before the proton, there was zero. And all of a sudden, there was a proton. And of course, I'm meaning the, the, the egg of matter, the, mm -hmm. you know, the massive thing that sparks the whole universe. So where did that come from? Okay, and I would say that Hawking um, just doesn't really begin to explain how the universe could just create itself. We do not see any ex example in the scientific survey of reality anything that creates itself. Everything has a cause. And so um, Hawking adds that before the Big Bang, there was no time Thus, this was the first uncaused cause because there was no time for a cause to exist in. And this is uh, circular reasoning. And if circular reasoning is being used by one of the smartest scientific thinkers of our day, 
Where do we go for the answers? And the answers are found in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created Nick Shalna and Tom Woodward and everybody listening to this broadcast. And he created us for a wonderful, marvelous purpose. He loves us eternally. He paid for our sins through Christ on the cross. He raised that same Messiah Christ from the dead, and that same Messiah Christ invites us to come and receive the gift of eternal life. Check it out at apologetics.org. Thanks for listening to The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.